Good to see you guys today. This is our final message in the DNA series. We've been talking about the core of the local church, particularly our church and what makes this the great place that it is. We've discussed our mission statement that we exist to help people reach higher by helping them love God, love others, and serve the world. And we talked about where that comes from. It comes from the great commandment that Jesus gave us when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And the second great commandment he said is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then today we're going to finish out by talking about the serve the world part of our mission statement. We love God, we love others, and we serve the world by going to the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to take you to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, as we finish out this series. And we talked about how that we, we try to get you to help us in four ways, and we try to help you along a path in four ways to actually live out this mission, to love God, love others, and serve the world. We call them the four G's. Uh, we, we gather, we grow, we give, and we go. So we gather for worship regularly here on Sunday mornings, and we worship God. We grow in the Word of God by learning more about God's Word in small groups we call life groups. And we do community together, and we study God's Word together, and we apply God's Word together. We also give to the work of God through our church with our time and our talent and even our treasure, our money. And then we go to the world. And we're a, a church that has the world on our heart because we believe God had the world on his heart. For God so loved the world, Jesus said. And so today we're talking about going to the world with the gospel of Jesus. And we often call this missions or we call it evangelism. Evangelism just means sharing a good message. And we have a good message to share with people about God's love through Jesus Christ. Now, often people get nervous when they start thinking about sharing the gospel with someone else. The abbot of a monastery called a novice into his office and said, Tomorrow you will give the sermon at chapel. And the novice was just deathly afraid of public speaking. I don't know if you know this, but when surveys are taken in America about people's fears, the number one fear that Americans have is standing up and giving a speech in public. And evidently, this young novice had filled out that survey multiple times. And so he said, no, no, I'm not doing it. The monk said, yes, you are. So the day of the service arrived, and the novice walks up behind the pulpit, and his knees are knocking, his hands are shaking, his voice is quivering. And there's this awkward moment of silence where he's looking at the people, and they're looking at him. And he finally musters up the courage to ask the question, do you know what I'm going to say? And they all looked stunned and shook their head, no. He said, neither do I. Let us stand for the benediction. <laughs> well, the, the monk is none too happy now. The abbot of the monastery is not happy, so he calls him into his office and said, now listen, I know you're afraid, but you've got to do it. And tomorrow, you're going to give the homily at chapel. And so the next day comes, and the same thing. You know, his knees are knocking, his hands are shaking, his voice is quivering. After a moment of silence, he finally asks, do you know what I'm going to say? And now the, the people are just puzzled, and some of them were there the day before, so they nod their heads, yes. And he said, well, then there's no need in me saying it. Let's rise for the benediction. <laughs> now the, the abbot is furious. He, he says to the young novice, no more games. You will preach. 
And if you don't, I'm going to throw you in solitary confinement for 30 days, bread and water, and any other punishment I can think of. So the third day comes, almost identical. The guy, knees, hands, voice, silence. And ultimately, he then asked the question, do you know what I'm going to say? And now everybody's confused. Half the audience shakes their head, yes. The other half shakes their heads, no. He says, well, those who know, please tell those who don't. Let's stand for the benediction. I think sometimes maybe that's a good definition of evangelism. Those who know, sharing with those who don't know. We know Jesus and we know the good message that he died for us on the cross. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day. And he did it because God loves us in spite of our sin. And all we have to do to receive God's forgiveness and the gift of eternal life is to turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus who died for us on the cross. We have a good message. That message has changed our lives and it can change other people's lives if they will only hear it in time. But so often we don't share that good message. Sometimes we don't share it because we have seen it done poorly. That we have seen ways that people are just offensive in communicating what they believe. And we don't want to do it that way. Other times we don't share our faith in Jesus because we've been conditioned in our modern culture to think that it is the height of intolerance to tell someone what they believe is wrong and that we have the truth and the truth can change their life. And that feels a little intolerant. But listen, the love God and love others naturally lead us to serving the world not only with good deeds but with good words about Jesus Because if we really believe this about Jesus, then the most loving thing we can do is share this good message with other people. Because we've seen the difference Jesus has made in our lives and is making in our lives. We know that we're not perfect. We know we don't set ourselves up as examples. But we also know that Jesus is making a positive difference in us. And he can do that in other people's lives as well. And we believe the world would just be a better place if more people lived for Jesus and became more like him. It can not only change my personal world, it can change our world together as more and more people come to faith in Christ. And so we want to share the gospel. And and maybe you're saying, but that's intolerant to share that message with someone else. How can you tell them they're wrong? So let me ask you this. If you feel that way, are you telling me I'm wrong in wanting to share my faith? Well, is that being intolerant then? Or is it just simply, you're convinced of what you believe and you want me to share that? I'm convinced of what I believe and I want to share that with you. It's not intolerant. We can love each other even if we disagree. But I personally believe the greatest way I could show my love for you is to share Jesus with you. Not to force him, not to manipulate you, not to condemn you, but to in love just share him and the difference he's making in my life and how he loves you as well. And the most unloving thing I could do, if I really believe that eternal destinies are at stake, is to not tell you about Jesus. So it has nothing to do with tolerance. It has everything to do with love. In fact, I think one of the biggest issues that faces this church today, Fort Caroline Baptist Church today, is what we're going to talk about today. That we often do not follow this great commission that Jesus gave us like we should. And I don't say that pointing my finger. I say that as a confession to you as your pastor. 
Often I get so busy in my personal life or busy in the job that I do here that I can forget to live on mission with Jesus every day and be ready to share his love with other people and to share the gospel of Jesus with other people. The gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection with other people. And I think one of the best things we can do is recognize that evangelism is incumbent upon all of us, but evangelism is more than just those who know telling those who don't know. Because if we stop there, we haven't gone far enough. What Jesus actually sends us out into the world involves more than just telling those who don't know about him. And we're going to see that today in the passage we're going to read from Matthew chapter 28, that we have a job to do, we have a mission to do. In fact, Jesus' mission in the world is our mission in the world. So with your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to begin with verse 16. And what I want to do is read verses 16 through 20 together without stopping, and then I'll come back and just walk through these verses one at a time. But Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless the reading of his word. This is often called the Great Commission. And the reason Christians often call this the Great Commission is because Jesus has been crucified, he has been buried and dead, and then on the third day he rose from the dead physically alive, and for a period of 40 days, he appeared to his disciples. And according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Jesus appeared not only to his disciples, but to crowds of upwards of 500 people. Christianity is based on eyewitness testimony of people who saw Jesus dead and then saw him alive three days later. And one of those appearances, in fact, probably the final appearance of Jesus before he physically went back to heaven, is what we just read, where Jesus gathers his disciples together and he commissions them. He sends them out with a job to do. He has a, a work for them to do in the world. He's going to go back to the Father in heaven, but he's going to leave his followers down here. And they're not to simply idly pass the time. They have a job. They have a mission. They have a mandate. They have a task to accomplish. And regardless of whatever else we are to do in this life, what we've just read today from Jesus are his final parting words for his church. And I think those words come with a heavy obligation for each one of us. Now, if you are looking at this, Looking at verses 16 through 18, we discover that one of the reasons or one of the ways that we're to go to the world is we're to go to the world with Jesus' authority. It says in verse 16 that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. On one of his appearances, 
risen from the dead, he says, I want you to meet me on a mountainside. I've got some things I need to say to you. So they obey Jesus. By the way, that's always a good thing to do. Always a good thing to obey Jesus. Just do whatever he tells you to do. So they went to that mountain which Jesus had directed them. Look at verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's always a good thing to do as well. Because Jesus is none other than God in flesh. Matthew begins his gospel, his biography of Jesus' life, in the beginning of this gospel by telling us Jesus was called Emmanuel, among other names, when he was born. And Matthew tells us the name Emmanuel means God with us. So God with us in the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and then we see Jesus as God being worshipped at the end of Matthew's gospel. But notice it also says some doubted. Some hesitated. Some weren't quite sure how to, what to make of all this. Things have happened so quickly. His death, they thought everything was over. They thought he had been defeated. They never thought they would see him again. And then the resurrection, which none of them were expecting. None of them believed he would rise from the dead. So by the way, if you've got doubts about the resurrection of Jesus, welcome to the club. The first followers of Jesus had doubts as well. But he appeared to them physically alive. And and their minds are just spinning. And now he's telling them he's about to go back to the Father in heaven. And, well, what about us? What's going to happen to us? What do we do? Where are you going? What does that mean? Will we see you again? And so they're worshiping, but some are doubting. By the way, I can relate to these guys as well. I've been in church where I've worshipped. And then a day later, I'm doubting, is this real? Do I believe what I believe? So Jesus wants to calm their fears. And he wants to clarify Their thoughts. There's a lot going on. I know your heads are spinning. But let me just clarify for you what you need to focus on. And that's when it says in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Jesus says, you need to know something. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not going to leave you without instruction and authority to do the job I'm calling you to do. You need to know who you're serving. You need to know who you're worshiping. You need to know in whom you have placed your faith. I am none other than the one who is the embodiment of all of God the Father's authority to use his power and to use his influence in the world. It is all in me. And so whenever you and I go to the world with the gospel of Jesus, we must go with the authority of Jesus. It would be the height of arrogance for me to go in my authority and tell you about your eternal destiny. It'd be pretty arrogant for me to go in the church's authority or some religion's authority or some denomination's authority and speak to you about such intimate matters as your relationship with God. But when we go, we go in His authority. We go because he is the king of all kings and he is the Lord of all lords. And he has commissioned us by his authority to go into the world to do this job. So rather than being sheepish, rather than being timid, rather than wondering and doubting and questioning, we need to make up our minds that we serve the risen Lord Jesus and he has given his authority to us to go into the world. We go to the world with Jesus' authority. But we also go to the world with Jesus' strategy. Look at verse 19. 
He starts unveiling his strategy for what they're to do in the world. In verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, if I were to ask you, where is the verb in this command? You would probably say, based on your English Bible, it's where it says, go. But that in the Greek is actually not a verb. In fact, in this command, there's only one, in this verse, there's only one command. There's only one imperative, and it's not go. In fact, go in the Greek, in which the the book of Matthew was written, was a plural participle. Now, we're not going to get into grammar today, um, so, so just relax. But you recall from your English grammar, a participle is that word that ends with ing. And so in the Greek, go is a participle. Jesus is literally saying, not I command you to go. He's saying, as you're already going, as you're already living your life, no matter where that going takes you, Make disciples. That's the command. That's the imperative. That's the verb. Make disciples. Go is not a command. Go. Jesus knows we're going to be going. We're going to be living our lives. We're going to be going to school. We're going to go to work. We're going to go on vacation. We're going to go on a mission trip. We're going to uh, go wherever. He says, as you are going. And it's the plural, by the way. He wasn't just talking to one of the disciples. He was talking to all of the disciples. You could translate it as all of you are going. Or if he were from the south, as y'all are going, make disciples, right? Jesus could be southern, maybe southern Israel, I don't know. But y'all, he's talking to each one of us. This is not just the church as this uh, nebulous Entity or organization, yes, that church's job to go and make disciples. No, he's saying as each of you are going, as all of you are going, make disciples. It's your job to make disciples and your job to make disciples and your job to make disciples. If Jesus were Oprah, you get a mission and you get a mission and you get a mission. You all get a job to do. And that mission is to make disciples. Wherever you go, be on the lookout for the opportunity to help people become disciples of Jesus. Now that begs the question, what is a disciple of Jesus? What is a disciple? What does that mean? Well, at its basic, the word disciple is where we get our word discipline, not as a discipline to spank someone, but a discipline of study. So a disciple is one who chooses to learn from someone else. But not only to just get head knowledge, but to actually learn the philosophy of another teacher in order to put that philosophy to practice in your own personal life. And the disciple is not just one who learns and who practices what he or she is learning. A disciple in the first century was also one inviting others to come and learn from the the teacher. So as a follower of Jesus, we're just saying, we invite you, come I've met someone who has changed my life. What he taught about God, what he's embodied through his own personal experience, what he did through his own sacrificial love for me, has changed my life. And I'm learning more and more, and I have not, I've not arrived, but I'm learning more and more about Jesus, 
and I have committed my life to him, come. I want you to know him too. I'm a disciple. I want you to be a disciple as well. I want you to choose to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to change your life. And I want you to join Jesus and me on the mission of telling other people this awesome news that you can be in a loving relationship with God through Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's one who follows Jesus, learns from Jesus, in order to live like Jesus, and who then joins Jesus on his mission of reaching more people. That's a disciple. And he says, go make disciples. You're already a disciple. Go make more. Each of you. This is your job to do. And when he says make disciples, he's not saying force people. We can't force people. We can't coerce people. We can't pressure people. But we can share our story about who Jesus is and how we came to follow him and the difference he's making in us and how they too can come to follow him. And notice he also says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is why in our mission statement as a church, we talk about we love God, we love others, and we serve the world. We don't just serve Jacksonville. We don't just serve ourselves. We don't just serve Americans. We don't just serve white people. In fact, in the Greek that Matthew is recording Jesus' words, he's saying that we are to go to all nations. The word is ethne. It means all ethnic groups, all people groups, all languages. This is beyond just political nations, America, Russia, Haiti. All that's true. But Jesus was talking about every segment of people. This good news that I died on a cross, that I was buried, that I rose from the dead having paid the penalty for the sin of the world is for all people. And listen, if this good news isn't for every man, then it's for no man. If it's not for everyone, then it's for no one. But our good news is for everyone. No matter who you are, no matter your nationality, no matter your language, no matter your skin color, there's no such thing as the gospel being just for a few the Bible says, Jesus said, for God so loved the world. In fact, if you want to know what it's going to look like in eternity when Jesus comes back, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9, 10, 11, following, the Apostle John catches a glimpse of what it's going to be like to stand before the throne of God. And he says, he saw a multitude that could not be numbered from every nation, from every people group, from every tongue, from every tribe, worshiping God and the Lamb of God, Jesus. That's what I love about our church. We're becoming more of a, a culturally and ethnically diverse church. This is what heaven is supposed to look like where people come together and they don't lose their identity. They don't lose their culture. They don't lose what makes them so unique and special as people created in the image of God. No, they bring it all to the throne of Jesus and say, you know what makes us one? It's Jesus. It's our Lord and our Savior. That's why we go to the world. All people. There's no one off limits from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we go to the world with Jesus' authority and strategy. But notice what happens in verse 19. After we make disciples, after a person says, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus, 
What should happen? Well, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing. Jesus says, listen, go into all the world, make disciples, but there are no incognito followers of mine. Everyone who's a real disciple goes public with her faith, goes public with his faith. And the way they go public is through baptism. Now that word in the Greek, baptizo, bapto, means to immerse in water. It means to submerge in water. That's the only thing it's ever meant in Greek language. And so to baptize a disciple of Jesus is to place them underwater, bring them back up as a symbol A symbol of what? A symbol of the one who they now follow. Jesus, who was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead on the third day. And when a person stands in water and they're making their public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and they're being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, they're saying, I have chosen to put my faith in the one who was crucified for me, who was buried for me, and who rose from the dead to save me. My faith is in him. So you're preaching a sermon without saying a word. You're preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why baptism always symbolizes a grave. That's why the Apostle Paul would tell the Corinthian church, don't you know when you put your faith in Jesus and you were saved, you were crucified with him, you were buried with him, but you've been raised to walk in a new life. God brought you out of spiritual death and darkness into a brand new life available only in Jesus. That's why when people get baptized at our church, we shout and we celebrate and we have a party. It's because it would be as if one of your loved ones came out of a grave alive. I promise you, you'd get happy. And when a person gets baptized, it's a symbol that they've been given spiritual life. Jesus put it this way. I've already woven in three times now. Jesus put it this way in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Life that will never end. Life and life more abundantly. And so we baptize people in the name of our God in the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But listen, we're not done then. Once they come up out of the water and we've all had our party, do we say, whew, that was good, we're done? Nope. Because he continues in verse 20. Teaching them, these new followers of Jesus, these new disciples who have just gotten baptized, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus says, your job now is to come alongside these new believers, these new disciples who have been baptized and gone public with their faith, and you need to teach them about me. I'm not going to be here. They're not going to be able to do what you, 11, did, and that is to walk with me and watch me and listen to me and see the power of God at work in my life. No, you're going to have to tell them. There again, that's why I want you to hear me. If you're a skeptic, the Christian faith is not just a leap into the darkness. Oh, you just got to have faith. Yeah, you do have to have faith. But our faith is based on eyewitness testimony of people who walked with Jesus, lived with him, saw with their own eyes what he did. And they recorded that for us to be able to 
Go back through the centuries and learn and teach other people about Jesus. This is the written residue of Jesus' earthly ministry, these gospels. And so we want to teach people about Jesus. And I've asked many Christians who had been Christians for years, whenever you got baptized and you became a new follower of Jesus, did a single person, I don't mean a life group or a Sunday school teacher or a preacher from the pulpit, but did a follower of Jesus come alongside you and say, I'm so excited for you. Could we just meet just maybe the next few weeks and let me teach you about Jesus and some of the things that he taught and how you can learn more about him? And sadly, 99% of the people I have polled in my impersonal, non-scientific survey 99% of the people said, no, no one ever did that. They kind of said, you need to get in a Sunday school class and you need to come to church. And and that was great. But no one, no one actually just worked one-on-one with me to help me. How do I read my Bible? You know, I I open it up and why is there a book on jobs in the Bible? I don't understand that. And what about that Psalms? I mean, there's a bunch of Psalms. I don't know anything about that. And those, those are big numbers and they're little numbers. What are those? And nobody ever helped me. But 100% of the people I asked who said no one did that for me, and I asked, would you have welcomed that? 100% said, absolutely. I wish someone would have helped me in those early days. I kind of felt like I was on my own. And I was sometimes embarrassed to ask in a classroom setting, hey, I don't have any clue where that book is in my Bible. I don't, you all just flipped right to it, and I'm embarrassed to turn to the table of contents because I don't know. Or, hey, you just read that about Jesus? That sounded rude of Jesus. Why would he say, woman, don't touch me? But I didn't ask, but I didn't ask that because I thought, maybe I'm the only one that has that question. But if I'd have had somebody that I could have said, whoa, slow down. What is, why did he say it that way? Now remember, what I'm saying to you is it's great we come together for worship. It's great we have life groups. But remember, this great commission was for each one of us. And it is your job. This is not the great suggestion. This is the great commission. It is your job to make disciples, to help incorporate them into the body of believers through baptism, and for you to come alongside someone and to say, let me teach you about Jesus. Oh, I don't know the Bible as well as I should, and I've never been to Bible college or seminary. But you know Jesus. You've been walking with Jesus. You can take the Gospel of John and say, let's read these few verses together. Hey, what did we learn about Jesus here? What did you learn about Jesus? How did people respond to Jesus? What do you think? How should we respond to Jesus based on what we just read about him? You can do that. And it's your responsibility and it's my responsibility to come alongside new believers. Or even believers who have been believers for a while but never had anyone to do this for them. And to help them. Because it's not just teaching for head knowledge. Jesus doesn't say put them in a classroom, give them fill in the blanks and teach them. No, no, no. He says teach them to obey all that I've commanded. This is about helping people live for Jesus. And we all need people in our lives who are mentoring us and helping us to learn more about Jesus and to live for him. I need this. That's why I'm in a life group. I need this. That's why I meet monthly with five other pastors in our city in an accountability group. 
And I learn every time. And it's why I've got at least one person who's pouring into my life on a regular basis. And there's one person I'm pouring into his life on a regular basis. My one person is William. He's a member of our church, new believer recently, maybe a year or so now. And he and I meet regularly. We usually meet at Nuke's Eatery if you want to see us out in the wild. We're usually at Nuke's Eatery um, once a month for lunch. And that's all we do. We read about Jesus and we ask questions. What did you learn about Jesus in there? What do you think that's telling us about Jesus? How did the people of Jesus' day respond to him? How do you think, based on what we just read, we ought to respond to Jesus? Let's talk about it. We had the best time. You can do that. You don't have to have a seminary degree to do that. Teaching them to observe. So we go to the world with Jesus' authority, Jesus' strategy. But here's some other good news. We go to the world with Jesus' company. His authority, his strategy, and his company. Look at verse 20. Not only are we teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Young people, I want you to know, Jesus isn't just looking for you to go on a mission for him. He wants you to realize your life is a mission with him Wherever you go, he's right there with you. Adults, you need to hear this. You're not just on a mission for Jesus. You're on a mission with Jesus. He is always with you. And his disciples, those 11 and those 500 that were there with them, needed to hear this because most of those 11 are going to lose their lives before it's all said and done for the cause of Christ. And he wants them to know, even if you're Breathing your last breath, I'm with you. Look with your eyes of faith. I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. Even if your government persecutes you, even if your own kinspeople reject you, even if people put you in jail, even if people laugh at you and ridicule you, I'm with you always. And even if you have success, and man, you talk about success. This a little band of believers, within one generation, the Bible says, turned their world upside down. They had gone to every known part of their world with the gospel, without television, without internet, without radio, without the printing press. How did they do it? Jesus was with them. And everywhere they went, they just gossiped the gospel about Jesus everywhere they went. And even when they had success, rather than getting the big head, remember Peter who denied even knowing Jesus three times before the cross? Later, on the day of Pentecost, gets up and preaches a gospel sermon and 3,000 people get saved and are baptized. And you can almost hear Jesus saying to him, don't get the big head. Remember, I'm with you. I did all this. You're just the messenger. I'm the Savior. I'm with you always. And I don't know what some of you are going to face whenever you say, I want to start telling more people about my relationship with Jesus and how they can be saved. Maybe you're nervous. Jesus is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. It was Warren Wiersbe, late pastor and Bible teacher, who said a disciple then is one who has believed on Jesus Christ and expressed this faith by being baptized. He remains in the fellowship of the believers that he might be taught the truths of the faith. He is then able to go out and win others and teach them.
That, my friend, is you. You're a disciple. You're following Jesus. You've been baptized into the fellowship, going public with your faith. You're learning about Jesus. But you need to take that next step, going back out into the world and making disciples. That's the missing element in most of what we do as a church. And I need you to hear your pastor's heart. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm making a mistake. But one of the reasons I've been clearing our calendar as a church from even some good events and programs is not because your staff is overworked. It's not because we're worried about the budget. It is for one reason. We keep people so busy at church and we fail to make disciples. Where you are intentionally sharing the gospel with another person and coming alongside that person to help them learn more about Jesus. I'd rather free up some time in your life so as you go, wherever God leads you, you're making disciples, living on mission for him. I said to someone one day, I need you to write down the name of someone that you will pray for, that you can share the gospel with. God wants to use you to change a person's life like somebody changed your life when they shared the gospel with you. And this person said, I don't know any lost people. And I felt so convicted that I had kept this person so busy at church. They had no relationships with people other than church people. And when they did have free time, they were busy. We're not going to be that kind of church anymore. We're going to be a church that loves God, loves others, and serve the world. We're going to gather for worship. We're going to grow in the word. We're going to give to the work. And we are going to go to this world individually. And we are going to make disciples like Jesus said. And so I'm going to ask you to do something today. I want you to write down one name. Take your bulletin. Take uh, somewhere in your Bible here at the Great Commission. And, and write down who that one is for you. That you want God to use you to have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Is it a family member? Is it a neighbor? Is it a friend? Is it a co-worker? Who is your one? Who's your one? That you say, God, by your grace, would you give me the opportunity to be able to speak about Jesus to this person? Not just to talk about church and the weather, but to actually tell them about who you are so they can become a follower of Jesus. You say, I'm nervous about that. Jesus is with you. What's there to be nervous about? And it's the great commission, not the great suggestion. We'll either live in obedience or disobedience. There's no middle ground. Who's your one? So right now this morning, the homework is for you to write down who your one is and to begin praying for that person and praying for God to give you an opportunity to lead them to faith in Jesus. Oh, and by the way, when they become a follower of Jesus, you got more work to do to meet with them and help answer their questions and help them learn who Jesus is. In fact, over the next year, we're going to be teaching you a simple strategy to do that that anyone in this room, young or old, can do. I'm just going to tease it now. I'm not going to tell you about it. But I'm going to be sharing with you over the course of this year a simple way. Sometimes I, I, I think, you know, we all have these grandiose ideas. I want to change the world. And there could be someone in this room who could shake a continent for Jesus. But you know what? You may not ever change the world in some big way that you think. But everybody in this room can change somebody's world by introducing them to Jesus. I'm so grateful for the people 
who introduced me and my family to Jesus. It changed our world. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, maybe today, for the first time in your life, you realize you need Jesus as your personal Savior. Why don't you tell him that right now? You can pray silently in your heart. He'll hear you. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you died for me on the cross. I believe you're alive and that you hear me when I pray. And so today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I choose to become a disciple, a follower, one of yours. I give my life to you, Jesus. Now help me to go public with my faith and help me to learn more about you. And help me to share this with others. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who needs Jesus and has just prayed that prayer, they'll have the assurance of your word that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they'll let us know today they've trusted Christ. Maybe they'll go to fcbc.life and, and let us know on the Let's Connect card, today I've received Jesus as Savior. Maybe they'll come to the Next Step area at the back and let someone know today I've committed my life to Jesus. God will be happy to schedule their baptism so they can go public with their faith. And we'll be happy to come alongside them as they learn more about you. God, I also pray for every person in this room who's a disciple of Jesus to remember Jesus' mission in the world is our mission in the world. Would you put a name on their heart and may they put it on a piece of paper. This is my one. This is the person I want to start praying for. This is the person, if no one else, I want to be able to share the good news of Jesus with in a non-threatening, simple way. And by your grace, you can change their life. Use us, God, as we live on mission for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.